Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. Today we're exploring the tricky issue of how to regulate the internet and in particular how the public think that the internet should be regulated. The organisation Mission Public has just completed a project looking at this and here to discuss some of the findings is Maria Tazi from Mission Public. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, delighted to be here. So the project is called We the Internet. How did that project come about and what was it trying to achieve? Well, We the Internet was born from a simple observation, which is that the opinions of ordinary people, ordinary citizens aren't taken into account when policymakers carry out their strategies. So we decided to bridge the divide between on the one hand uh, policymakers and on the other citizens through large scale dialogues. So these um, large scale dialogues took place during three years, uh, three months, sorry, <laughs> three months last year in 2020 and brought together thousands of citizens from all continents and from more than 80 countries. So the goal, of course, was to inform um, citizens, the participants that attended, um, about issues such as disinformation, which was particularly interesting in light of COVID-19, of course, but also about data protection or even AI. So we got them to discuss these issues, to deliberate together, and to express their concerns or their hopes regarding each of these issues. And the final objective, of course, was to raise recommendations that would help um, policymakers or decision makers to make the most legitimate decisions. Well, we'll dive into some of those recommendations in a minute. But tell us a little bit about the methodology for these large dialogues. How do we how do you do it and how do you know that what you're doing is sufficiently representative? Well, these complex issues like internet governance, like data protection or, or disinformation require a more informed group of citizens. But we believe at Mission Publique, and, and this is a principle that um, we're very much um, willing to, to, to keep, is that all citizens, wherever they come from, whatever their educational background should have a seat at the table. So to give them the possibility to learn and to get informed before even attending the dialogues. We provided them with videos, uh, with briefing materials that were co-written by our core team, of course, and by a scientific committee. So you mentioned a, a scientific committee. What did that do and how did that feed into designing the process? So the scientific committee was here to help us by guaranteeing the scientific quality of the deliberations. So these experts, um, there were maybe 10 or 15 experts were part of this committee and uh, supported us by focusing on digital policies, on technology, on the history of the internet and its governance. But we also had experts from citizen participation and stakeholder participation. And just to finish on the, the, the methodology, you said there was a range of countries. Tell me a little bit about the, the breadth of countries that you went to. So our goal was to reach out to as many countries as possible, and particularly countries from the global south who aren't taken into consideration when policymakers carry out their strategies. 
So of course, it's I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that um, COVID-19 was cha challenging in carrying out the global process last year. And although we had some countries who were doing relatively well considering the circumstances such as Nicaragua or La in Latin America or even Uganda or Morocco in Africa and Northern Africa, others were struggling um, such as India or Brazil or Italy here in Europe. So we had to um, adapt our formats so that people would be able to, to attend the dialogues online. At first, we thought that this would be a disaster to, be, to have to keep people's attentions alive throughout the day, but we pulled it off and our national partners pulled it off in, in 80 countries worldwide and never before had so many people from so many different countries deliberated on the future of the internet. And all in all, we had 5,500 citizens from all countries alike and with a majority of female participants which we're proud of. So let's then turn to the results of all of this deliberation, all of this work. What were the key findings from the study? Well, all in all, I think citizens are far from having a catastrophic or a naive view of digitalization. They see both. They see the great potential for progress it can bring but they also see the threats that it bears and the fact that it can be an unsafe space or an unsafe place for many people. But the, the key findings, I mean, there are, there are many. I think I'll, I should focus on maybe four or five here and then go into more detail afterwards, if that's okay with you. First of all, global citizens think that the private sector, so private companies should take the lead on technical tools to ensure the quality of online content. They think that civil society, on the other hand, should take the lead for human-based tools to ensure the quality of content. And they believe that only a multi-stakeholder approach should be uh, implemented to ensure a healthy digital public sphere. So they want a science-based process, an evidence-based process. They also are firmly in favor, of course, of a global decision-making process. But what was interesting and what was actually quite surprising was that they trust the United Nations and the international and regional organizations to make the best decisions regarding data protection and regarding disinformation. On the other hand, national governments should be less involved because there seems to be a will to go beyond national interests when it comes to the future of the internet. That's really interesting, yeah. And finally, I'd say all stakeholders, so of course, according to, to global citizens, should urgently invest in digital literacy through education, of course, to fight disinformation. And they say that civil society and public bodies should take the lead on this. So let's explore some of that and some of the things in the report. One of the things that comes up in the report is the issue of disinformation mm -hmm. on the Internet, uh, which I know is a key concern in the study. And of course, it's regularly reported in countries all over the world on everything from elections to vaccinations and so on. What are the implications for governments and, and for others, uh, international bodies as well, to help 
tackle misinformation, disinformation? Yeah, well, this topic of, of disinformation and misinformation was actually particularly interesting for participants to tackle during the COVID-19 pandemic. You spoke of, of, of vaccinations and yeah, that, that example is 100% accurate here in France or even in, in, in the UK, where I think if I'm not mistaken, the government has recently targeted false information on social media to dispel this fake news or this disinformation and misinformation regarding vaccines. And during the pandemic or during the beginning of the pandemic, when we when we launched the dialogue and when we when we first started inviting ordinary people to join the discussion, a lot of participants were facing information blackouts in Africa and Asia. In some countries, governments actually blocked access to Facebook. I'm thinking of Myanmar, for example, which was actually the primary source of information in the country. Um, so it was it was truly fascinating to have citizens on board the We the Internet project who could actually testify and tell us what they thought of censorship and what they thought of disinformation at a time when that same information could actually have been a lifesaver. So. Mm-hmm. To get back to, to your question, what did citizens, uh, you know, what, what did they recommend and what did they propose? We gave participants the possibility to explore a wide range of tools and a wide range of solutions for actors from the public, from the private sector and from civil society. And what came out of that exercise was quite surprising. Citizens massively prioritized education as the most urgent action and the most effective action to fight disinformation, online disinformation. This was followed by human-based interventions to secure the quality of content, like human fact-checking, for example, and legal instruments to regulate information online only came third, which was quite unexpected. Then we asked people who they thought should ensure the quality and the accuracy of online content. And the vast majority, and by the vast majority, I'm thinking 80% 80 of global citizens said that civil society and public bodies should have a leading role in, in education. So the main recommendation here and this is the main recommendation we we handed over to decision makers, was that all stakeholders should urgently invest in digital literacy through education and that civil society and public bodies should take the lead. Now that is very interesting. And as you say, potentially surprising that education and human-based intervention came above legal instruments. But I did want to ask you, partly in that vein, what people in the study thought about actually regulating the internet? What, what does the study tell us about it? Should it be regulated and, and, and by whom? So when asked about who should take the lead in regulating online content, the least support, so this was less than 10% of global citizens, answered no one. <laughs> meaning that people expect a regulation from some stakeholders and that in itself is already an interesting finding. And the most support was surprisingly given to the research community and to academia. Um, 78% of people 
entered uh, research community and, and academia to have the most prominent role in regulation. So what does this mean? This means that there's a strong will from citizens to implement a science-based approach for regulation and that scientific evidence is needed in content regulation. The minimum support, on the other hand, was given to the private sector and local governments. What was also very interesting from this session was that 80% of participants said that they would change their online behavior after, after even such a short discussion. I mean, it was a 90 minutes exposure to the topic and these 90 minutes sufficed for them to change their online behavior. So what does this prove? This proves that what's, what they are actually asking for, education and digital literacy, is indeed the most urgent and effective tool at disposition for change. Now, again, a really interesting set of uh, conclusions. And I wonder, although people were very keen that the research community should be involved in regulation, I wonder how the research community would view themselves taking on that kind of role because it might well be something that they feel is outside of something that uh, mm -hmm. they should be doing. One of the other things in the report was about artificial intelligence and the study showed that people felt that their knowledge of AI and their understanding of AI wasn't high enough which is unsurprising given some of the other things that you've been talking about. What are the dangers of, of that? And, and how should governments, how should schools, how should companies tackle this lack of uh, knowledge about AI? This session was particular. Global citizens actually refused to take sides strongly on this subject because, as you said, of their lack of knowledge and their lack of understanding of AI. Interestingly enough, though, they also think that other stakeholders like private companies and governments face the same weakness, which might be amusing at first, but which is actually quite concerning. And you're asking me, what are the dangers of this? I mean, I think it was Stephen Hawking who, who said that AI's impact could be cataclysmic unless its rapid development was strictly and ethically controlled. And today everyone agrees with this, of course, but if, if private and public sector don't even control AI, I mean, how are citizens and, and users supposed to control it? And by not understanding this technology, well, we don't understand its limits either. What comes out of this? I'd say that a lot more discussion, uh, a lot more open discussion, a lot more uh, dialogues are needed to navigate artificial intelligence and um, stakeholders should heavily engage in setting up public conversation and um, engagement activities on the future of AI and its governance for us all to, to better understand its benefits and its drawbacks. No, very interesting. One other finding I wanted to ask you about from the report was a very positive view, actually, of a data-driven society, but provided that certain conditions were met. What does that data-driven society look like that, that people were so positive about? Well, people were so positive because they, they said that a data-driven society could unlock a positive future for all if and only if four conditions were met. 
So these, these four conditions are that, first of all, data should be handled as a personal reflection online, and hence it should be actually tied to human rights. So this is consistent with the fact that people, uh, global citizens consider that the internet itself is actually a basic human right. They also say that there needs to be a straightforward way of trusting the data that is online. And they also want to be able to control and access the data themselves. Finally, the fourth condition that uh, needs to be met for a, a, a trustworthy data-driven society is that the data governance should be a science-based and multi-stakeholder one. So everyone knows that data is useful and can have many utilities, of course, but this system must be based on trust, according to citizens. No, I think it's very difficult to disagree with any of those points, but it's great that it would, they brought them out so clearly. So just to wrap up a little bit, because we're coming towards the end, what's next for the We the Internet project? How are you taking forward the results? Well, our national partners who are implemented in each of the 80 countries oversee the impact at national level. We at Mission Publique are in the middle of disseminating the results to global stakeholders. I think it's next week or in a few, in a few weeks, Antoine Vergne, our co-director and head of We the Internet, will be speaking at the NGI Forum, Building the Internet of Humans. I think it's on May 18th and 19th. We'll also be present at VivaTech next June to promote our deliberative processes and to get people from the tech ecosystem talking about the, the We the Internet. And we're working towards a new set of citizens' dialogues, but this time we want a different format and we want to focus more on a controversial topic, which is encryption. So we want citizens to go deeper into the conversations. Uh, we want this to take more time. So we're planning dialogues that will take four to six days and that will focus on a smaller scale with only five to 10 countries. So on the long run, I mean, our, our long-term ambition is to pivot from a, a series of dialogues such as these to a platform so that decision makers have an automatic reflex, if I can say this like this, to, to go through deliberative processes when taking decisions that affect ordinary people. So we have big dreams and we've set high expectations for policymakers. And we're looking forward to see what will come out of this by, by 2025. Fascinating. And I'm sure a lot will come out. And it's very interesting, the results of this particular study. Um, that's all we have time for. Uh, but Maria Tarsi, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Maria Tarsi from Mission Publique. A link to the report mentioned by Maria is on our website at www.foundation.org.uk slash podcasts. Also on our website, you can find details of all our events, all our blogs and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, I'll be discussing artificial intelligence and my guest will be Professor Dame Wendy Hall, Regius Professor of Computer Science at the University of Southampton. <laughs>